three of our discipleship series. Um, two weeks ago, Ben was preaching and he talked to you about what it actually means to be and to make disciples. And I want to remind you of a picture that he actually showed up there. He had a disciple and a teacher and they were kind of mirroring each other, but the disciple wasn't worshipping the teacher. They were both worshipping God. And the disciple was learning from the teacher by copying um, the way that they needed to live their life. And last week, Paul was talking about the personal mission that we as individuals need to undergo with the help of the Holy Spirit as our guide and our mentor to deconstruct and to reconstruct ourselves from our natural sinful self into the image of Jesus. And today is the third part of our sermon series, and the title of today's sermon is Teach a Disciple. Now, by, all of, by now, all of you should know that we're commanded by Jesus to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. So I want to read Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And today I want to give you some practical wisdom of how, on how to effectively teach a person that you are discipling. And to make things just a little bit easier for you, um, I want to clarify. Today I will be calling the one who is being discipled the disciple and the one who is doing the discipling the teacher. So the disciple follows the teacher. Got it? Okay, and I also want to make a very shameless plug for David's ebook, Finding a Discipleship Environment, which can be found at www.life-house.net slash f-a-d-e dot p-d-f. Carolyn, are you proud I said hyphen, not dash? Wonderful. Um, it contains lots of good stuff. And any scripture references today um, are going to be in the NIV unless I state otherwise. So today I want to share with you three steps in teaching and training a disciple. And step one is to identify the current progress of the disciple. Step two, help the disciple move further along in their growth to maturity. And step three, evaluate the success of the discipleship process. They seem fairly common sense points. Okay, one of the first things that any good teacher does is they find out what their students know. Okay, and this is the same for discipleship. There are foundational truths in the Word of God that every believer needs to know. Hebrews 6 talks about these foundations. Repentance, faith, baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The Apostle Paul calls them spiritual milk, and at Lifehouse we call them part of Level 1 Discipleship. Now, it's not like you're going to sit down and give your disciple a test with pen and paper. You know, we need to be discerning every conversation that we have with them, every interaction for clues about what's going on inside of their head and their heart. And we need to be alert for areas of misconception, for those nuances of conversation that just tell us something's a little bit amiss. And we need to ask good questions to find out what it is that they really know and perhaps their background and what kind of teaching that they've been brought up under. Now, David and Carolyn are really good at this, especially David. Um, sometimes in a conversation, he will stop and ask me a question, which I really hate, by the way, because I'll either answer straight away and, and I'm confident of the truth, I know what I'm talking about, or I'm way off. 
Sometimes that happens too, and David will gently point out my error and, you know, tell me what the truth is. But then sometimes I have to stop and I have to think. And thinking is not always fun, you know, and I have to figure out what it is that I really do believe about the situation. You know, this is a really, really good teaching tool. You know, not only does it show you as the teacher where the disciple is at, but it also helps them to self-evaluate. I find identifying that I have a misconception is the first step towards rectifying my thinking. If I don't know that I have a problem, I can't go about fixing it. And it can be so easy to gloss over a part of a conversation that really should ring alarm bells. If we're not attuned to the Holy Spirit, or we don't know the Word of God, or we're not actively listening, we might miss an opportunity to address an area of misconception. We also need to be especially vigilant for misinterpretation of the Word of God. You know, many people have not been trained to exegete Scripture properly. They can become tangled up in incorrect definitions, and they often take offense at the truth because of their misunderstanding. For the teacher, this means making sure that you, yourself, have a thorough biblical grounding. Are you in the Word daily? Do you simply read the words on the page or do you study it properly, the Holy Spirit as your guide and perhaps a concordance or a good commentary? Do you, like King David and Joshua, meditate on the Word of God both day and night? And further, we need to identify the root cause of any ungodly behaviour. The world's answer to sin is to find coping strategies. God's way is to deal with the root. And in the Gospels, we see an example of this in the story of Jesus with the rich young ruler. The young man asks the question, what must I do to be saved? Then Jesus turns the conversation towards the stronghold in this man's life. One thing you lack, Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will find treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In this instance, the young man was unwilling to deal with his stronghold, and Scripture says that he went away sad. Teaching a disciple is not always easy. At times, you will need to put your finger on an issue and press a little. It's then up to the disciple on how they choose to react. They might retaliate and hit back because of the pain. They might deny that there's an issue, or they might submit to the sanctification pro process and correction. After all, discipleship and sanctification go hand in hand. I'll admit, oh, sorry, I missed something. Helping the disciple move further along in their growth to maturity. So we've looked at, you know, finding where the disciple is, and now we're going to look at how we help them move on to the end goal. And this is a pretty big step. So I'm going to break it down into three easy points. First, be further along the journey yourself. Secondly, know what the goal is. And thirdly, be intentional. So, like you, uh, like me, you perhaps have had a teacher that seemed to know what they're talking about in a subject and have learnt it the night before. Have you ever had one of those teachers that they look like they're coming in and they've studied up on the notes? They don't inspire a lot of confidence and they're not really that good, okay? Um, and if you say to a disciple, follow me, you need to make sure that you yourself are in a position where they're able to follow you. You need to be at a greater level of understanding. It's common sense. Can a person who does not have a thorough biblical grounding and understanding of foundations teach them to others? Can you expect to teach others how to hear God's voice if you can't hear his voice yourself? Of course not. 
to teach a disciple, you must first be a disciple. There is a weight of responsibility when teaching and training a disciple. They watch, they listen, they learn. More is caught than taught, as David and Carolyn would say. The Bible states pretty clear consequences for teaching and training a disciple and teaching them something that is scripturally unsound. James 3.1 states that teachers will be judged more strictly and Hebrews 13.17 says that leaders will have to give an account. I personally would not like to stand before the King of Kings and have to give account for leading others into error. In the book of 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul exhorts Timothy in this way. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Being further along the discipleship journey enables you as the teacher to identify what training needs to happen and in what order. When I teach maths, I'm always thinking about what the students need to know now in order to succeed in the future. And the same can be said for discipleship. So what exactly are we aiming towards when we teach a disciple? It's stated very clearly in Matthew 28. Teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now in his e-book, Finding a Discipleship Environment, David Thomas sets it out this way. The goal of Christian discipleship is to follow Jesus and to become like him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A disciple has one mission and one command, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Matthew 28, go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. And Matthew 22, amplified, and he replied to them, Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and intellect. This is the great, most important principle and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. These two commandments sum up and upon them depend all the laws and the prophets. Now, I'm going to quote Paul Hilton from his sermon last week because I really love this quote. He says, So if that's what we're aiming for, to be like Christ, the only perfect person to ever walk the earth, then we had better get serious about this. Spot on, Paul. Good job. Okay, the, pro the product of a discipleship process is a mature disciple, able to make more disciples, and a mature disciple aims to be like Christ. They have correct priorities. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. A mature disciple should be able to fulfill the requirements set out for an elder in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and I'm going to paraphrase some of the points mentioned there. They need to be above reproach, faithful to their spouse, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manage their own family well, see that their children obey them, and they must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. They must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And they must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And although they may, may seem standard, we must not take the following four points for granted. 
A disciple must be born again, born of the Spirit, born from above. That's in John 3, 1 to 5. A disciple must be baptized in water. That's found in Mark 16, verses 15 to 20 and Acts 2, 37 to 47. A disciple must be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's found in Acts 2.14 and Ephesians 5.18. And a disciple must be added to the Lord first, then added to the church. Acts 5.14, Acts 11.24 and Acts 2.41. When teaching and training a disciple, we need to set a high level of expectation from the start. I believe that we are living in end times, the very last hours of the very last days. This means we do not have time to dilly-dally around at making disciples. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We need to be intentional about who and how we disciple. Be selective and strategic about how and what you teach. Be purposeful, be timely. Ask the Holy Spirit for strategy. You should be deliberate and intentional in preparing your disciple for kingdom service. And we see this pattern time and time again in the Bible. Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy, Jesus and the Twelve. Go and read their stories. Notice how the teacher gently guides the disciple. Notice how often they repeat things. Paul says in Philippians 3.1, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, I would count myself as a fairly intelligent sort of person, but there are so many times that I've had to have something repeated over and over again before it really sinks in. And if you were to take a transcript of what a parent says during the day, I guarantee you will hear certain phrases repeated over and over again. And I did a bit of research. Here are just some of them. Quit it. Please keep your hands to yourself. Use your manners, please. Sit down, please. Stop jumping on the couch, please. No, go and do that again and without the attitude. Hey, if I said don't do that to her, that means don't do that for you too. Parents know that these things need to be repeated because they are teaching and training their children. And it's the same with discipleship. However, sometimes despite our best efforts, a disciple will make a foolish decision. And the teacher then has two options, to enable or to empower. An enabler comforts but does not address the root issue. An empowerer helps the disciple to the cross. I love this quote from David's ebook. How do you grow a disciple? Get him to the cross and train him to learn to walk with his cross on himself every single day. And Derek Prince says, it's at the cross that Satan's territory ends Beyond the cross, he has no claim because every claim of divine justice and every charge and accusation that Satan would bring against you and me were, were settled once and for all at the cross. It is out of love that the teacher tries to gently point out to a disciple that there is no excuse for bad behavior regardless of the circumstance. True biblical love does not allow the other person to wallow in self-pity or to stay in sin. Love helps the person move closer to Jesus. Now, part of empowerment is taking your hands off. Just as children have to learn how to dress themselves or pour the milk themselves, and you watch it spill everywhere, 
Um, teaching a disciple requires a lot of self-control. We have to let them do things for themselves and learn for themselves instead of doing it for them. Now think of a learner driver. The instructor sits in the passenger seat. They give direction, but they don't hold the wheel. They help identify situations ahead and how to navigate them safely. But ultimately, it's the one in the driver's seat that is responsible for what happens next. Discipleship takes time, it takes commitment, and it takes sacrifice. But it is what we are commanded to do, and it's definitely worth it. So we've looked at... um, Point one, step one, finding out where the disciple is, and step two, helping them to move closer um, to becoming a mature disciple. And now I want to talk about evaluating the success of the discipleship process. Teaching and training up a disciple necessitates that we do evaluate progress at different times along the way to gauge our effectiveness. If the aim of the disciple is to make another disciple then we ought to evaluate how successful we are at doing this, especially in light of the, the time and the effort that we spend doing it. One of the most effective ways to do this is to look at fruit. Ephesians um, tells us, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And at school, I do a lot of testing. I usually pretest. I give pop quizzes. I ask questions of kids in class off the cuff. I sometimes ask them questions when they're going around the playground. They really hate it. And of course, at the end of a unit of work, I give them a culminating piece of assessment. Why do I do this? It's because I want to see if they've actually learned anything, and I want to see if my time has been effective. So here are some really good questions for you to ask of yourself first, and then also of your disciple. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I talking more like Jesus? Am I living more like Jesus? Am I sounding like him? Do I smell more like him? Am I doing what he did? Am I hanging around others who are like him? And can I just add that last point is really crucial. Who you hang around affects who we become as people. It says in 1 Corinthians 33, bad company corrupts good character. And I'd like to challenge you to evaluate whom you are spending time with. And if they're not living as God intended, What is your reason for pursuing that friendship? We also need to know when to call it quits in a discipleship relationship. I've had to navigate this in the past and it was not easy and it was not comfortable. But when God said, okay, hands off now, I obeyed. And I'm not going to give you hard and fast rules for when to terminate a discipleship relationship. But I will say this, we do need to be careful not to mistake a mountain for a dead end and vice versa. All things going to plan, the disciple will become a mature Christian, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
A mature disciple works for the good of the body of Christ. A mature disciple is constant in judgments and steadfast in temptation. A mature disciple knows the truth and is not easily led astray. A mature disciple knows the truth and speaks it in love. And a mature disciple makes other disciples. Now, eventually, your Timothy should become your Barnabas. I like this quote from David Thomas, as I think it gives a clear picture of what the end goal of discipleship really looks like in a practical sense. Once he's out of basic training and has become a level one and two minister, the disciple should automatically develop the attitude of having personal responsibilities and duties, rather than continuing to have a recruit mentality of being told what to do along with the when and the how. The disciple should automatically love living in the no excuse zone. So there are a few final points that I want to share with you in wrapping up. Firstly, discipleship is opposed. God commands us to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And Satan hates it when you obey God. So of course, you're going to face opposition when you are teaching and training a disciple. In light of this, spiritual warfare is key to teaching and training a disciple effectively. Ephesians 6.11 tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. And later in verse 18, we we are instructed to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Intercession is a vital tool for effective discipleship. In interceding for the disciple, the teacher needs to learn how to pray effectively in a way that's in line with scripture, but does not negate the free will of the disciple. And not only should we pray for the disciple, but we need to also pray with the disciple. I find that praying with people gives me an insight into the heart of the person and their attitude towards God. I know I pray very differently now in comparison to what I did a number of years ago. As my relationship with God has deepened, it has been reflected in how I pray. Praying with the disciple is at once both demonstrating how to pray and also giving a little insight into where the disciple is at in their walk with God. Secondly, you yourself need to choose a good mentor. So choose wisely. As I have said earlier, who you learn from will automatically filter into how you teach others. I remember when I first started teaching, I was surprised at how much I mimicked my favorite teachers at school. And, you know, I found it difficult sometimes trying to bring in new teaching methods that were, I guess, contrary to, to what I've been taught um, when I was a learner. And so I repeat, choose your mentors wisely. A word of caution, though. If you are the disciple and your mentor goes off track according to the word of God, run. Run away. Run Find a new mentor. And finally, one very, very important point. Disciples are recruited. I repeat, recruitment is key. Discipleship is not the same as speaking into a person's life. Discipleship is so much more than that. I speak into the lives of my students nearly every day but that's not discipleship. Discipleship is intentional. It is not haphazard. You need to be deliberate in whom you target, as well as leaving the way open for divine encounters. Recruitment starts on your knees before God, 
and then on your feet in obedience to his lead. David put it this way, a disciple will know that they have been called, recruited. A disciple will know that their identity is in Christ and develop the ability to look at themselves as God sees them. A disciple will know that they will have and will continue to have rigorous training. So in teaching a disciple, we identify where they along their journey. We help them move further along in maturity by being a disciple ourselves and by being intentional. And we evaluate the success of the discipleship process. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So in closing, I'd like to leave you with this challenge. Take some time out to sit down with the Lord and evaluate your discipleship relationships. Ask the Lord, how effective have I been in discipling so far? Is there progress that's been made? Am I being diligent as a disciple myself? And am I teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given us such a great commission to go and teach all nations to obey everything that you have commanded. Would you help us to be diligent in this? Would you help us to be wise in this? And Father, would you help us to extend your kingdom for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.